Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as Super Wild Card Weekend finally closes out uh, later on tonight, the finale of the Wild Card Weekend with Philadelphia and Tampa Bay kicking off in about 15 minutes. Of course, a game that was postponed due to weather yesterday was made up earlier, and the Buffalo Bills have defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers 31-17, which means next week on Sunday in Orchard Park, New York, Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs, his first road playoff game ever will come against Buffalo and Bills Mafia. What a scene that should be. Houston will go to Baltimore Saturday afternoon. More on that in a moment. In the NFC, Green Bay will go to San Francisco. And the final piece of the puzzle will be tonight. The winner of Philadelphia and Tampa Bay will be on their way to Detroit. Watched a lot of playoff football over the weekend. Got a lot of thoughts concerning that and how it revolves around our Jacksonville Jaguars. Guest lineup tonight. Coming up in less than 20 minutes, Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com. We lovingly call him DRock. We'll get DRock on to talk Jaguars as far as a brief look back, but more so a look ahead. Trevor Lawrence's contract, Josh Allen, Calvin Ridley. Who do you use the franchise tag on? What direction are they going to go in replacing defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell? So a lot of Jaguar talk with Mike DiRocco of ESPN.com, less than 20 minutes away. Also at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, it is Monday night here on Hacker After Dark. That means Monday night coaching with Campo. My buddy Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he's with us every Monday, and he will join us at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. We will certainly keep you updated as well on Philadelphia and Tampa kickoff in that game is less than 15 minutes away. But as we do every night to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So last week, the Jacksonville Jaguars fired defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell along with, what, nine or ten assistant coaches on the staff, primarily most of them on defense. But I got the sense from you, the Jaguar fan, that Mike Caldwell was the least of your concerns. 
you were very concerned with Press Taylor, the offensive coordinator, and you were certainly concerned with Trent Baalke, the Jaguar general manager. And as I was thinking about that this weekend, the game started being played. And I now have concerns, too, about both guys. I've defended both guys. I will continue to defend them to an extent. But I would be lying after this weekend's games if I told you that I did not have a little bit of concern moving forward. Let's begin with Press Taylor and the Jaguar offense. Did you see the Green Bay Packers and the Houston Texans and last night both teams, Detroit and L.A., Young offensive minds, Sean McVay in L.A., Ben Johnson in Detroit, Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, Bobby Slowick in Houston. Man alive, the innovation on these offenses, finding guys open, getting their quarterbacks out of the pocket, doing things in the running game, causing separation, getting matchup matchups that they like against the opposing defense. That is what well-coached offenses do. Boy, you didn't see a lot of that in Jacksonville this year. That was a concern. Look, every offensive coordinator can throw a one-yard bubble screen and hope that a wide receiver breaks it for a first down. And goodness knows we saw a lot of bubble screens here in Jacksonville. But Green Bay in particular... Houston in particular, their offenses just simply look different than Jacksonville's. Just watch them. They just look different. More explosive, more separation, more playmakers on the field. And I don't think Green Bay and Houston have all pros all over their offense. Far from it. Green Bay is out there with rookies and second-year players that just sliced and diced the Dallas Cowboys yesterday. Houston's out there with Nico Collins and Brevin Jordan, Robert Woods. I mean, these aren't exactly all-pro players, but they're playing like all-pros right now. And why are they doing that? Well, it's all about matchups. When you have an innovative offense, an innovative staff, an innovative coordinator, you can do that. Those teams have that. The Jaguars did not for much of the year. So that was concerning to me from a Press Taylor offensive coordinator point of view. I was also very concerned from a Trent Baalke drafting point of view. Now look, if we're going to kill Baalke for bad decisions, let's first say Evan Ingram was a grand slam. Christian Kirk was a grand slam. Foye Aluikin was a great signing. Zay Jones, when healthy, has been very good. Balky has done some nice things in free agency. I would give him a passing grade in free agency. It's the draft where he starts losing me. Yesterday, Green Bay, Houston, the Rams, the Lions, have young guys on the field that are making plays, man. Young guys all over the place that are making plays. Primarily at the wide receiver position, the tight end position, 
Guys are making plays for their quarterbacks. So it got me thinking, we're going back into Jacksonville Jaguar history a little bit. Let's look at wide receivers drafted. And I'm scrolling down and I'm scrolling down and I'm getting more and more depressed as I continue to go. And then, bam, 2018. Okay. DJ Chark in 2018. I was like, wow, he's probably the best receiver they've taken since the 2018 draft. But then I go back to 17 and 16 and 15. And the realization slowly set in on me that DJ Chark is the best wide receiver that this franchise has drafted in almost a decade. And no offense to DJ Chark, but let's be real. He should not be the best receiver a franchise has drafted in almost a decade. 2015, now again, not all this was bulky. Dave Caldwell was horrific at his job too. 2015, wide receivers drafted Rashad Green, Neil Sterling. 2016, not one wide receiver was drafted by the Jaguars. 2017, D.D. Westbrook was drafted. 2018, that's where you find D.J. Chark. 2019, not one wide receiver drafted in Jacksonville. 2020, Colin Johnson and LaVisca Chenault. 2021, Jalen Camp. Jalen Camp. 2022, nobody, no wide receiver. And then this year, Parker Washington. That is bad. I mean, that is really bad. They have done nothing in the draft to bring these quarterbacks any playmakers at wide receiver. Nothing. Tight end, same story. In Trent Baalke's three drafts as the full-time GM, He's taken two tight ends, Luke Farrell, and I'm not even sure I give him credit for Luke Farrell. That seemed more like an Urban pick. Remember, Urban was on the phone with Luke Farrell's parents because Luke Farrell was an Ohio State kid, and then Britton Strange in round two. And when you see what Houston's done, what Green Bay has done, what the Los Angeles Rams have done, what Detroit has done in the draft, primarily at wide receiver, and tight end, that gives me concern. That gives me concern. So to sum up, I understand that you guys are still very frustrated that Press Taylor is still here and that Trent Baalke is still here. If it were me, I probably would not have gotten rid of them either. I probably would have taken the Jaguar route in this. But again, I would be lying to you if I did not have concerns about both guys after watching the playoff games this weekend. In regards to Press Taylor, the Jaguars' offense way too predictable, not causing mismatches, not getting guys involved, not getting guys open, not stretching the field. You saw an awful lot of that from other offenses this past weekend in the playoffs. And when it comes to Trent Baalke, not a lot of young guys are making plays at the skill positions for the Jags. And there's a lot of young guys making plays at the skill positions for the teams that are left standing. But the reality of the situation is we're two weeks into the offseason. Whether you like it, whether you love it, whether you hate it, you're going to have to come to accept it. That is your goal, acceptance at this point. 
that Press Taylor and Trent Baalke will both be back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You just have to hope that whatever they did last year going into the offseason, they do the exact opposite. Because I'm going to talk to Mike DiRocco of ESPN.com about this coming up momentarily. The questions on this roster that the Jaguars had after that loss to Kansas City to end the 2022 season, remember those questions? Got to find help at pass rush. Do something with some offensive line help. Do something in short yardage. These same exact questions still exist now a year later. They didn't answer any of the questions last offseason, and the same ones still remain. They still need to figure out short yardage. They still need help at pass rush behind Allen and Walker, and they still got to do something with the offensive line. They went through an entire offseason in 2022-23 without answering any of those questions, and they just held them over to be asked again right now. That is bad. They rested on their laurels. They said, we're good. 10 and 9, we're good. It's built. We're going to run it back. And you see where that got you. Same exact record in the regular season. There needs to be player movement this year. There needs to be guys released. There needs to be new guys brought in. There needs to be some turnover on this roster. Because there was none of that last year. And you see ultimately where it got the Jacksonville Jaguars. Philadelphia and Tampa about to kick things off. We'll keep you updated down at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. Again, the winner of this game plays Detroit next week. So you know the schedule. Next Saturday, the early game, Houston at Baltimore, 4.30. Saturday night, 8 o'clock, it'll be Green Bay at San Francisco. Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock, winner of tonight at Detroit. And Sunday evening, Kansas City at Buffalo, Mahomes' first road playoff game against Buffalo and the Bills Mafia. Absolutely spectacular. Coming up next, Mike DiRocco. We lovingly call him DRock. ESPN.com. Let's talk Jaguars. Moving forward, what do they do? Trevor, the contract extension, Josh Allen, Calvin Ridley, among many other topics. We'll go in-depth with Mike DiRocco of ESPN.com next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season now more than a week in the books after, well, the biggest collapse in franchise history. I don't think I'm sugarcoating that at all. And the NFL playoffs are in full swing. And my goodness, how good did the Houston Texans look over the weekend? There is a lot to get into with that. Let me go to my buddy D-Rock, Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm good, Hacker. How are you, bud? Mike, we're good. I guess last week was kind of like uh, coping, right? We had to get through the <laughs> grief, and now we're on to the understanding as to what exactly happened. And let me ask you, you're around this team every day. It's been eight days, Mike. What happened? Why did this team collapse in the fashion that they did? You know, the funny thing is, I think Josh Allen, what he said after the game in the locker room after the game was really telling to me. And that is, he said the last 
you know, five, six weeks, we were just kind of waiting for that spark to happen. Um, you know, like we got last year and just waiting for it to happen. And it never came. Um, and, you know, to me, that is, that's a pretty darn big indictment of the, I don't know that chemistry is the right word, but certainly the, the approach inside the locker room, um, you know, as Doug Peterson said, I think the next day, you know, go be the spark. Somebody needed to step up and no one really did. And I, and I get that there were, you know, injuries and that's a part of it. Um, you know, I get that there were some questions on defense and I get that there were, you know, you know, a quarterback who hadn't really practiced in three weeks. Um, but, but, but the bigger thing to me is that there was just, it seemed like the leadership in that locker room didn't take over the way it needed to. And I think that's something that might be a little bit concerning going forward a little bit. Yeah, there's no question. And look, since the loss, 10 coaches have been let go, including obviously defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. And here's my question, D-Rock. If Calvin Ridley catches that ball with two minutes to go in Nashville and finds his way into the end zone and Jacksonville goes on to say beat Tennessee in overtime, are those coaches still here or was that a – a knee-jerk reaction to the loss in Tennessee? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I think if if they had gone out the way, like, say, the Browns went out in the first round of the playoffs and had given up, what was that, 45, I think it was, whatever the Brown, the Texans scored, then I think there would be some wholesale changes. I think um, if they had just lost in that first-round playoff game in a normal game, then I think there was going to be changes anyway, but I don't know that it was going to be as drastic as what we saw. Um, you know, that defense down the stretch of the season, we point to all the turnovers and we point to Trevor Lawrence's um, struggles, uh, in, you know, in that last stretch there. But, you know, that defense gave up 34 points at home to the Cincinnati Bengals and Jake Browning. I mean, you score 31 at home, you should win that game. Um, you know, you went ahead and gave up, what, 28? uh to uh to the or whatever the, the 30 excuse me 30 to the bucks on christmas eve when it was just an absolutely listless performance and the 28 points you gave up in the 153 yards rushing to uh, derrick henry which was the most he had rushed for this year i mean it, it you know look you, both sides share blame but seriously when that defense needed to step up and make some plays in the, in the second part of that season, they really didn't do it. So I was expecting some changes anyway. I don't know that it would have been the full sale, you know, hey, everybody's gone except two or three guys on the defensive side, but there would have been changes. Mike Duraco, ESPN.com. I also thought Andrew Wingard in the postgame locker room up in Nashville a week ago Sunday when he said that guys were – uh, basically not playing assignment football down the stretch. I thought that was a pretty telling statement from a team captain. Now we turn the page and get into the future, and the future is the new defensive coordinator or who it's going to be. And, Mike, we've heard a lot of names, right? We've heard names like Wink Martindale. We've heard former Gator Marquand Manuel. Not, you know, so much to talk about a certain person, but the type of person. Do you believe it's going to be a guy with – more experience on their side? Do you believe they might look at a younger up-and-comer, if you will? How do you think that plays itself out? You know, I think it's got to be a guy that has some defensive coordinator experience. Um, look, Shad Khan was not happy with the way this season ended. Eight and three, um, you know, we were talking about this team maybe getting the number one seed 
overall seed in the AFC, and they just absolutely fell apart. And, you know, the thing that we have to keep in mind here is Shad Khan's trying to get a stadium deal done. And when your team is struggling and falling apart the way it is, that's not really a good look. And I'm not saying that this is going to impact whether the stadium deal gets done or not. Most likely everything gets done. But, man, you were rolling and everything was going crazy and, you know, everybody was excited. And now it's just absolutely the opposite. And so I don't know that Doug Peterson has to make it to the playoffs and and win two or three games next year to save his job. I don't think he's on the hot seat. But certainly I think Doug Peterson uh, took a little bit of a beating from owner Shad Khan. And and if he's going to right this ship, he's going to have to find a guy that has had some defensive coordinator experience before and can kind of figure out what the best way to use some of these guys are. You know, I I still think Trayvon Walker is a guy that probably would benefit from rushing inside more than he does from the outside. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But if if you're Doug Peterson, you need a guy, you, you already have an offensive coordinator who's just going into his second year. You need somebody that you can turn that defense over to and just have full trust that there's not going to be any issues and that you're going to have the right scheme. You're going to make the right calls at the right time. And I think that's why a guy with previous experience would probably be the best way to go. Yeah. Wink Martindale, Leslie Frazier, a couple of names that we've heard. In fact, Martindale reportedly coming in to interview uh, later on this week here in Jacksonville, Mike DiRocco of ESPN.com. DRock, the fan base is after Trent Balky again, two years after some of them dressed up as clowns to voice their frustration. You thought all was right with the world after the 2022 season. But, boy, resting on the laurels. Hindsight's always 2020, and I get it, and I think we all drank the Kool-Aid to an extent. But looking back last year and doing nothing except saying we're going to run it back, I get they couldn't go on a wild spending spree again. But, Mike, they did nothing last offseason. When you're a prized free agent – was a kicker that Denver cut in May, that's a problem, right? I mean, you look back on that, they they should have done more. Yeah, well, look, they go into this offseason with the same concerns that they went into last offseason. And number one concern going into last offseason was pass rush. Well, they waited to the fifth round to take an undersized guy out of Louisville. You know, they didn't sign any of the veteran guys that they brought in for visits later on in, in, uh, you know, in camp or later on when or early part of the season or just between, you know, the end of camp, uh, end of um, mini camp and training camp, they didn't, they didn't sign anybody. Um, the offensive line was an issue last year and they just decided to roll it back and, and they didn't make a single change there except drafting Anton Harrison at right tackle, which the right tackle area You had to find somebody there for sure, but that's not all the work they should have done on the offensive line. It was, I think, you know, Gus Bradley, you know, and I hate to bring that up because I know Jags fans don't like hearing about Gus Bradley, but Gus Bradley always would say one of the worst things that you can think as a head coach or as a player in the NFL is I got it. I understand. I got it. I got it. And I think that's what they felt last year. I got it. We got it. We're good. You know what? We were good enough to go in Kansas City and beat the Chiefs, and we just you know made a couple of mistakes here and there. Otherwise, we'd have been playing in the AFC title game. And they just expected to roll that back, like you said, and it didn't work. And now, you know, in addition to pass rush being another question, now you're going into this offseason having to address the interior of that offensive line. If you don't, 
If they don't make changes there, then we're going to be sitting here in the same position next year um, asking the same questions. And now there's also some major questions about Trevor Lawrence, whether he likes it or not or whether the Jags like it or not. Now it's like, well, wait a minute. Is he the guy? He had that great run the second half last year, but you know what? He turns the ball over at such an alarming rate. And I know the interceptions, some of them may not be his fault, but man, the ball security and fumbles, that's got to change. And those are three major questions that they've got to answer in this offseason, or it's going to be another long year because all of a sudden the AFC South, not the crappy division we all thought it was going to be. No, not with the emergence of Houston. Indianapolis, Darner made the playoffs with a backup quarterback. D-Rock, you hit on two things there that I want to get more of your thoughts on. Number one, you mentioned Trevor. Look, I don't think Trevor should go anywhere. I'm happy he's here. I think he's the franchise guy. Having said that, I would have some real concern about paying him buku dollars this offseason. But the price of doing business in the NFL, we know Herbert got paid after year three in L.A., Burrow got paid after year three in Cincinnati, and now here's Lawrence after year three. Are there going to be any issues if Trevor does not get a new deal prior to the start of the 2024 season? I haven't heard of any. Um, now, that's obviously right now at the end of the season, and you know, as we get further into the offseason, that kind of stuff may start popping up, but I have not heard any. And look, if you're the Jags, I don't know that you do pay him this offseason. I honestly want to say, or I would honestly say, hey, look, we all struggled last year. We got to fix some other areas. Let's go ahead and concentrate on that. Trevor, you're our guy. We believe in you. Um, you know, we'll pick up the fifth year option, obviously, and then we'll work on this next year. But right now, we've got to solve some other areas of this this team. And to be honest with you, I would really be surprised if Trevor Lawrence wasn't in meetings with Doug Peterson at some point the last couple of weeks, you know, his exit interview, if he sat down with Trent Baalke, sat down with Shad Khan, the owner, and made his thoughts known about what needs to be fixed. Um, I wouldn't, you know, if the Jags do a deal with him after this, in this offseason, I wouldn't be surprised. If they don't, I don't think I would be surprised either. Um, not after what he kind of put on tape the last you know, half of the season, uh, you know, even the first half of the season, I thought it was very good. He may not have been flashy, but if you look, I think he had a streak of five or six games, the longest of his career with a pass rating over 90. So he was playing good football. The numbers may not have been there, but he was playing good football. The last half of the season, that's a different story. A couple of more from Mike DiRocco of ESPN.com. DRock, you also brought up pass rush. And I remember being out there with you and Mark Long and, all the guys at OTAs and in minicamp and training camp. And we knew then that they had nothing behind Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker. And every press conference, you or Mark or somebody would ask, hey, are you going to bring this guy in or this veteran's available? And they kept saying, oh, the young guys are going to develop. We think we're good. We think we're good. And it was nonsense. I mean, they're talking about Caleb on chase on and these fourth and fifth round rookies that they drafted. It was just complete and total nonsense. And I guess my question is, if guys like you and me knew they had nothing behind Walker and Allen, then the general manager making millions of dollars, he better should have known that. And now is it incompetence, which I don't think it is. I think Balky's a pretty smart guy. Or was it simply arrogance on the franchise's part not to address that? I think it's more the latter, but maybe a little bit of the former, uh, too, mixed in. Because, look, they were counting on Dewan Smoot coming back from the Achilles 
um, and being an impact. And they were counting on uh, Devon Hamilton to do that as well on the interior. Now, Hamilton had the back infection, and that really kind of just wiped out this entire season for him. So from that standpoint, they were hurt there. But to count on a guy like a Dewan Smoot coming off an Achilles injury, and when did he start playing? End of October? I mean, we're, I mean that, that's unrealistic and arrogant to think that he would be able to do much less than a year after he tore his Achilles. So, look, they had guys in. They had Calais in. They had Jadavion Clowney in. They had who they have? Justin Hughes. I mean, they had veteran guys in. And if you look across the league throughout the season, NFL teams bring veterans in off the street and, and sign guys at positions hoping for just a little bit of a contribution or hoping that they can provide a spark or hoping that they can catch, you know, maybe magic in a bottle a little bit for a three or four week stretch and get something out of these guys. The Jags, they brought in Ben or Ezra Cleveland from the Minnesota Vikings in a, in a midseason trade uh, who, who they think is going to be their left guard next year, but they, they did not address the biggest weakness on this team going into the uh, this past offseason. And, uh, Hacker, how bad would it have been if Josh Allen didn't have the monster season that he had? Mm-hmm. If Josh was up there around 8, 9, 10 sacks, which is kind of where he had been living um, you know, for most of his career, how bad would it have been? It would have been way, way worse. It would have been awful, and there's no doubt, or if he gotten hurt, anything. I mean, they kind of got lucky in that regard. Mike, as we wrap up, two final questions. We'll have you on again right about the start of free agency, but clearly before then, so we're talking, you know, somewhere mid to late February, Josh Allen, Calvin Ridley, and the franchise tag. Now, the theory I've heard out there is that the ideal scenario would be to re-sign Josh Allen and then tag Ridley just don't sign him prior to the draft, and you won't owe Atlanta a second-round pick. You'd owe him a third-round pick. Is that your ideal scenario for what the Jaguars need to do? Yeah, but that's not what I think will happen. I think they're going to tag Josh, uh, to be honest with you, and then try and work something out with Ridley. I I just don't – I just get the feeling that there's still an element in that building of, okay, wait a minute. He has this monster year in a career year – he wasn't this guy for the first four years of his career. Maybe, you know, we should see if he can do it again. Uh, and, and I may be wrong. I may be, may be misreading that. But from talking to people throughout the season inside the organization, it just seemed like that that was sort of the feeling that, you know, this Josh is more the guy that you've seen the first four years and not saying he's a bad player. He's a good player, very good against the run but not the dominant pass rusher that he was this year. So my expectation is Josh gets the franchise tag. Now, if they can work out some sort of a long-term deal with him after that point, you can pull the franchise tag back and then work on the Ridley stuff and see if, you know, if you could do it that way as well. I, I, I just, I get the feeling that it's going to be franchise tag. The very first day that Josh can be tagged, I think is when we'll hear that, that they have done so, but you're right. I would do it the way, you talked about it earlier, but again, I probably would have signed Josh last year uh, to a, an extension, and it would have been a bargain because he would have. I, I would have expected Josh to have the same kind of season this year that he had, regardless of whether he got a contract last year or not, because of the guy Josh is, the kind of guy he is. So now it's going to cost them way more than it would have had they done it last year. We got 60 seconds. Is your expectation, D-Rock, that Calvin Ridley 
is in this team's future plans? Yes, I do think if they can come to an agreement on a, a reasonable number for both sides. But yeah, they, they liked him. Uh, they think another year in the offense will be very, very beneficial for him and give him a fuller understanding of, you know, some of those option routes and some of the issues that kind of cropped up this year will go away with another year in the system. The offseason really never stops for ESPN.com. Mike DeRocco, what's coming up on ESPN.com over the coming days and weeks? Yeah, I've got a big piece. I think it's running Tuesday or Wednesday about uh, basically what went wrong this year and sort of breaking it down into several areas. A lot of it's some of the stuff that we talked about, but I delve into the injuries and, um, you know, some coaching, questionable coaching decisions and some of the things that some of the players said after the final game that kind of led you to, you know, conclude that there were maybe some not locker room issues, but some unhappiness in there at times. Mike, we always appreciate it. Again, D-Rock, Mike DeRocco, we'll do it again around the start of free agency. Know you're busy, brother. Thank you for the time, my friend. Appreciate it, Hacker. Anytime, bud. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Glad you're with us. We'll do a little Monday night coaching with Campo. My buddy Dave Campo joins us in less than 15 minutes. Super Wild Card Weekend, the finale going on right now. Down in Tampa, five minutes to go in the first quarter. Buccaneers up 10-0 on Philadelphia. What on earth has happened to the Philadelphia Eagles? You could argue they were the best team in football after 11, 12 weeks of the year, and they have just imploded, absolutely imploded. Their fall from grace has been more drastic than Jacksonville's was. And they're already down 10. Good grief. What a what a fall for the Eagles. Now, it's early. They could come back. No A.J. Brown tonight, though. But the Buccaneers up 10-0. And Philadelphia is going to have to punt the ball at three and out. They're going to give it right back to Tampa. We will keep you updated. Earlier today, Buffalo defeats Pittsburgh. Well, that was some scene there in Buffalo two hours before kickoff. Fans were going to their seats just covered in snow, man. Snow was everywhere. The field was good, but the stands were just awful. Kudos to everybody there at that stadium, the road crews outside that stadium, to get fans in there and get them in there safe because there was a ton of snow that fell in the uh, western part of New York prior to that game. But Buffalo advances, and they will get Kansas City on Sunday. Kansas City defeats the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins offense could do nothing in that weather. If the game was in South Florida, Miami maybe could have won. Kansas City wasn't very good either. But in those elements with no running game, Miami could do nothing. Kansas City wins the game. You know, and quickly to Miami... Miami is a team that will be remembered this year for being good against the bad teams. They only had one signature win the entire year, and that was the victory over Dallas. They lost to Buffalo twice. They lost to Kansas City twice. Every good team Miami played, they seemed to lose, and they're out. And again, you go back to week 12, 
Miami, Philadelphia, Jacksonville in all the power rankings were probably top 10, if not top five or six. Jacksonville didn't make the playoffs. Miami was one and done. And Philadelphia better get their act together pretty quick or they're going to be one and done. So Kansas City at Buffalo next week. The Detroit Lions, for the first time in over three decades, the Lions win a playoff game. And to this point, it was the best game of the weekend. Well, give Sean McVay and the Rams some credit. Remember the beginning of the year? Everybody thought the Rams were going to be awful. Awful. But the Rams turned out to surpass every expectation. They gave Detroit everything they wanted. In the end last night, the Lions were a little too much. Dan Campbell in the postgame locker room said something that stung a little bit here in Jacksonville. Remember, he and Brad Holmes, the GM, were brought in together three years ago. They had a vision together when they started. That didn't happen here. Shad Khan chose to retain Trent Baalke again, and Doug Peterson was then hired, so they were not on the same timeline. They were not brought in in unison like we saw in Detroit with Holmes and Campbell. Detroit gets the winner of Tampa and Philadelphia next week. The Green Bay Packers. Did they find another one? Are they honestly going to go from Brett Favre, Hall of Famer, to Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Famer, to Jordan Love? Jordan Love goes into Dallas and absolutely destroyed the Dallas Cowboys yesterday. Now we'll see what happens against San Francisco. That's a tall order for Green Bay next week. But for any Packer fan or any NFL fan that had your doubts about Jordan Love coming into the year, I think those doubts have been silenced. He absolutely was spectacular yesterday in Green Bay's demolishing of Dallas. Where do the Cowboys go from here? Who knows? I would have thought had Mike McCarthy been fired, it would have been today, although the NFL does not like you stealing their own thunder with two playoff games today. Potentially Dallas would wait till tomorrow. I can't imagine it would go much further than that. Should McCarthy be fired? I don't know. Guy's been 12 and five, I think in all three years in Dallas. They won the division this year. But that was bad yesterday, bad. And Dallas is out, Green Bay moves on, and then of course, Houston. Jaguar fans, how was your one-year window in the AFC South? Hope you enjoyed it. Texans are better than you. They're better in every facet of the game than you are. They have the better quarterback, they have the better playmakers, they have the better lines of scrimmage. They're better. Give it up to Houston as they destroyed the Cleveland Browns. Houston goes to Baltimore. Obviously, Baltimore should be a pretty big favorite in that game. But how much fun will that be seeing Lamar Jackson take on C.J. Stroud Saturday afternoon? Division playoffs are set. Houston at Baltimore, Saturday, 430. 
Green Bay at San Francisco. Saturday night, Sunday, 3 o'clock, the Detroit Lions await the winner of Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. And Sunday evening, Patrick Mahomes, his first road playoff game ever, ever, is in Orchard Park, New York, against the Bills Mafia. Woo! That is going to be appointment viewing when the Chiefs travel to Buffalo. And keep in mind, why do the Chiefs travel to Buffalo? Because Kadarius Toney lined up offsides. Had Kadarius Toney been three feet back from where he was, the game's at Arrowhead. He didn't. They didn't. So now Mahomes and the Chiefs have to go to Buffalo. 641-1010 on the text line design by Lifetime Enclosures. Tampa Bay remains up 10-0 on Philadelphia. Two minutes to go in the first quarter. We will keep you updated. Coming up next, it's Monday night on Hacker After Dark. That means a little Monday night coaching with Campo. My buddy Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, will talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Camp's had some thoughts about that, but we'll spend a majority of our time certainly on your Jacksonville Jaguars. It is a Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us right here. Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The NFL playoffs, boy, what a weekend. We had some upsets, a really close ball game last night between Detroit and the Rams. Of course, the Jaguars were not involved in any of this as we are now in week two of the Jaguar offseason. With that, we welcome in my friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Hack. Uh, you know, I'm over the over the Jaguars a little bit, but then I had to suffer through the Cowboys, so it's been kind of rough, but I'm, I'm hanging in there today. Yeah, we'll get to Dallas in a moment. What a situation that was yesterday against Green Bay. But, Coach, you and I haven't spoke since last week when Mike Caldwell was dismissed as Jaguar defensive coordinator. In fact, in total, I believe 10 assistant coaches and one coordinator have been let go by Doug Peterson in the last seven days. Your thoughts on all the change going on with this coaching staff? Well, first of all, having been in the profession, I don't like to see anyone fired because obviously it affects, you know, more people than that person. You know, it affects, you know, the family, the children, etc. So, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed with that. But at the same time, it is a business. And, you know, looking at this team, when things are not going well or something happens that, uh, you know, shouldn't have happened maybe, heads have to roll. And usually it's the head coach making that decision. And a lot of times when they make that decision, if they don't hit on the next one, they're the next one out the door. You know, it was interesting, Coach, and the Jaguar defense was very good for a good portion of the year. I mean, I think back to that Kansas City game, the Pittsburgh game. I mean, they had some very good moments, but clearly outside of the Carolina game, and Carolina was awful, outside of that game in the last six weeks, 
the Jaguar defense left a lot to be desired. And I go back last week to when Andrew Wingard said that in the postgame locker room in Nashville that there was not a lot of assignment football being played. At that point, when that was made public, you kind of knew there were problems on the defensive side of the ball. Well, you know, a lot of those things have shown up really all the way through the year and some last year. You know, I kind of dismissed it last year as being a rookie coordinator and, you know, maybe some guys not quite understanding everything that was going on this year. You know, even during the, in the games that they really kept us in ball games, uh, there were situations where guys busted coverages or guys were out of their gaps, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it just manifested it, itself this last five or six weeks. It was masked early by opportunistic turnovers. And a lot of times turnovers come in bunches and it looks, you know, good for a while. And then all of a sudden it stops. And that's kind of what happened down the stretch. We didn't turn the ball over very much. And there were a number of situations. Look, when you see long runs or guys wide open, obviously it's not somebody whipping somebody one-on-one. -on -one. There were mistakes. And unfortunately, that showed up this last five or six weeks. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo. My buddy Dave Campo here with us on Hacker After Dark. Coach, I don't know if your paths have ever crossed, but a popular name in the rumor circle is Wink Martindale. Martindale, formerly of Baltimore, has spent the last couple of years with the New York Giants. He is reportedly going to come in for an interview this week here in Jacksonville. Uh, do you know of or do you know Wink Martindale, and, and what are your thoughts on that name here in Jacksonville? Well, I don't know him personally. I know kind of his background, and uh, I'll just put it this way. I'm going to be very careful with what I say here. But I'm going to say this about that situation. Uh, Doug better do his homework because there's some really, really mixed feelings about uh, his association in Baltimore and with the New York Giants. So I'm going to kind of leave it at that because uh, they're going to do a number of different interviews. And I think that when it's all said and done, I I'm hopeful that, that Doug makes the right decision now. You know, it's interesting. Wink Martindale's one of the guys, Coach. You've heard some other guys, maybe Leslie Frazier, if he doesn't get a head coaching gig. And then they want to interview a lot of young guys, right? I've seen Marquand Manuel, the safety coach with the Jets, who was a former Florida Gator. Uh, Hewitt, the passing game defensive coordinator in Baltimore. I mean, what are your thoughts on do you want to go a young, unproven guy that's never been a coordinator or would you like to go to the old guard a little bit, maybe a guy with some more experience? Well, I think, you know, if there's a guy out there that, that has more experience, I think that would be the right situation because, to be honest with you, I think that Doug feels, and this is kind of how it unveiled with the guys he let go, uh, I think Doug feels like he can fix everything on offense. But he needs somebody on defense that can kind of control the situation. Now, there's a lot of young guys out there that can control the situation. You look at Aaron Glenn. You know, there's a young player, young uh, ex-player, that's done a great job with Detroit's defense. Uh, so it depends on who is that guy. And I think that's where the homework has to be done. And, and I truly believe that uh, they just need somebody. I, I think 
and, and, and I want to be careful with Mike Caldwell as well because I don't know him that well other than watching him for a couple of years and knowing his background. But he seems to be the same kind of guy that Doug is, you know, not a guy that's going to be overly uh, aggressive uh, with, with players and that type of thing. But I think this defense needs a little bit more discipline. And, and whether or not that means a guy that has to come in with a little bit more firepower or, or what it is. But I'm not concerned whether it's a young guy or an old guy if it's the right guy. Yeah, that's a good point. And this name hasn't been brought up publicly, but people have been reaching out to me. You know, what about a guy like Ron Rivera? Well, let me ask you. I mean, Rivera was a head coach. He got fired last week. Do head coaches, you know, 60-plus years of age, do they normally want to jump right back in? Could Rivera want to take a year off? What was what was your thought or what is your thought when you hear a name like that? Well, I think everybody's a little bit different. You know, there were guys that said, uh, you know, how could uh, a guy like uh, Dave Campo go from head coach of the Cowboys and then uh, five years later come back as, as uh, assistant head coach, secondary coach? It all depends on the ego. You know, it depends on what the ego uh, says. And I, when I was let go with the Cowboys, I wanted to coach right away. And I went, you know, as defensive coordinator in Cleveland. So it really depends on, number one, Rivera's an interesting guy because he's been a head coach for so long that, you know, maybe it's a little tough to kind of step back uh, into another role. Uh, he may want to take a few day, you know, years off. Mike Zimmer took some years off. I, you know, I'm not sure there. But, I, again, I'm hopeful that, that the homework is done and they get the right guy. Monday night coaching with Campo, my friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's with us here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, final Jaguar question, because I want to branch out a little bit with you. Uh, Press Taylor appears that he's going to be back. Trent Balky appears he's going to be back. Surprised by either one? No, I'm, I'm really not surprised. I really think that, you know, from an offensive standpoint, as I mentioned earlier, I believe Doug uh, feels like the things that were a struggle this year can be fixed. I would not be uh, surprised if Doug takes a little bit more over play calling. Not that Press Taylor, uh, you know, uh, needs to be fired or anything like that. But I think, you know, if you're going to if you're going to uh, be questioned on what's going on, the more you're involved, obviously, the the better it is. Uh, and so. Uh, with Trent Baalke, I think Trent Baalke has made some good decisions and bad decisions. I think that that's something that goes on uh, all over the place. Uh, you know, the Jaguars are not the only ones that miss on on some uh, guys here or there. But I, I really think it depends on what the relationship is with uh, Shad Khan and Trent and, and Doug. And to me, uh, that you, you live with the decision you make, and I think it'll be one that they come back and – We'll see what happens next year. A coach you competed with, obviously, for years and years, the greatest coach it's ever been in the National Football League, Bill Belichick and the Patriots deciding to part ways last week. Belichick has made it very clear that even plus 70 years of age, he wants another head coaching gig. Again, he's only 15 wins behind Don Shula for the most coaching wins of any head coach in NFL history. 
your thoughts on Bill Belichick no longer being the head coach of the New England Patriots. Well, you know, sometimes it just gets to the point where you feel like there's only a few more years left with a guy and, and it's time to to keep moving. And and that's a decision, for example, that Jerry Jones made with Bill Parcells. You know, Parcells never got them, you know, necessarily where they wanted to go, but his teams were pretty competitive. And, and that, I think, was one of the decisions that, that Jerry made, right or wrong. Now, I don't know whether it was right or wrong or whatever, but that was one of the decisions. Now, as far as Coach Belichick is concerned, the only thing I can say about him, obviously they struggled after they lost Brady. That's not unusual. You know, when you don't have a quarterback, that's very difficult to get things done. The, the thing you know with Belichick is that even when they have not been good, there's never been a case where they didn't show up. And I think that that's happened in some teams around this league if the, if someone takes Belichick it's going to be they're they're going to get something out of it whether or not they get a Super Bowl I don't know but I I think that the one thing you know is that his teams are going to show up prepared well it was a crazy week I mean obviously that was the big one right Belichick but Pete Carroll stepping aside in Seattle Mike Vrabel getting fired in in Tennessee I mean we talked about Ron Rivera although it was probably time. I mean, Rivera is a terrific head coach that is out of a gig as well. I mean, what a week last week was on the coaching carousel. Yeah, you know, it's usually uh, a number of uh, guys going every year. You know, I I would say that there's probably, if you look over time, seven guys at least every year, seven jobs open, and for whatever reason. Uh, And, you know, obviously – this year is interesting because of the pedigree and the age of the guys that are going, the number of years that they've been there, the number of years they've been successful in, in certain situations. So it, it's, it was a, that's why there's so much uh, talk about this, this past year. And, uh, you know, I think obviously those guys all have some pedigree, uh, whether or not they get another shot this year, I don't know, but it's it, sure it sure piques everybody's interest, that's for sure. A couple of more for our head coach, Dave Campo, here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, we alluded to it in the opening. What on earth happened to your Dallas Cowboys over the weekend? Well, it's it's really a shame because I really think they have the, the, the talent and the firepower to uh, have made more noise in the playoffs. And that's kind of been uh, their – modus operandi over the last 28 years uh you know since 1995 i i just don't it's just that it's almost i thought that uh to give you an example i thought that michael strahan uh said it very well on the post game show when he said it's almost like the dallas cowboys are an entertainment business rather than a football business And I've said it a number of times that the accountability is not always there because they're so revered around the world, around Dallas, around Texas. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you keep looking in the mirror and everything looks real good, you don't take quite as much time combing your hair. And I think that that happens in Dallas. And I think that happened in that ball game. I think they felt they were going in. They had the, the best football team. And, and, and in a lot of ways, it kind of looked like 
our game here with Jacksonville with the Titans. You know, it just was one of those things that things got off to a tough start and they never were able to recover. You obviously know Jerry Jones very well. He was not happy last night. At the time, you and I are talking. Nothing officially has happened with Mike McCarthy yet, but you know how the internet works. You know how social media works. Everybody is lumping the fact that Bill Belichick is available with Dallas potentially having issues with their coaching staff. Could you see a scenario where Jerry Jones and Bill Belichick could work together? Well, this is the first time that it's been a situation where when he has made a change that you've had three really good seasons with Mike McCarthy. You know, 12-5, and I think, for three straight years, something like that. Uh, That makes it a lot more difficult than it was when uh, Parcells replaced me, for example, because we had struggled. And, you know, so that's one where Jerry made the decision with, with Bill that he needed some firepower because we had lost the triplets and he was just building the stadium. This is a different scenario. I I really don't know. I think that he would definitely, uh, you know, check the boxes and, and see what's happening in the, the, the fan base and everything that's going on in Dallas, because I would think it would be very difficult to fire a guy that, that's been 12-5 and five for three, three straight years. I agree, but Jerry Jones doesn't always think rationally, and I'm certainly not telling you anything you don't know amidst big losses like this. Finally, Coach, the games over the weekend, uh, a couple of things jumped out to me. Number one, the Jaguars have a problem, and it's the Houston Texans. Uh, incredible victory by Houston over Cleveland. Jordan Love, I mean, miraculously, did Green Bay find another one? Are they honestly going to go from Favre to Rodgers to another star in Jordan Love? It's certainly what it looks like. What were your impressions over the games over the weekend and your biggest takeaways? Well, first of all, I hate the Houston Texans. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, Olsen, uh, the the color commentator at that one of the ball game. well, actually the game last night with the, uh, with the Cowboys, made the comment, and this is kind of how the national media works, unfortunately. But he made the comment that that love uh, Lamar Jackson and Purdy were the three guys playing the best at this time. He forgot one, and that's Stroud. And Stroud has proven uh, that he and love are very similar. You know, they have been able to throw the ball under pressure. They've been able to move. And, and move around and, and create openings because of uh, extending plays. Uh, I think that, that they found one in Green Bay, and, and I think they have one in Houston, unfortunately. And, and that's going to be and, – and Houston, the thing that concerns me with Houston is they have a lot of draft picks in the next two or three years. So we're going to have to get right here in Jacksonville, and Trevor's going to have to improve – uh, otherwise, it's going to be a long uh, haul here in the, in the AFC South. And the one thing I don't like that I saw over the weekend, Coach, you look at Green Bay, a lot of young guys that they drafted making plays, wide receivers, tight ends, et cetera. Same thing in Houston. You look here, if you go back, and we've talked about this a little bit tonight, you could argue that over the last nine years, the best wide receiver the Jacksonville Jaguars have drafted is DJ Chark. And in Balky's three years as the full-time GM, 
They've drafted two receivers, Parker Washington and Jalen Camp, and they've drafted two tight ends, Luke Farrell and Brenton Strange. It's one thing to sign good free agents, and you got to give Balky credit for that, but they are not drafting on the same level as these other teams, and that's starting to show itself. Well, I think that that might be true. Uh, you know, when you look at it, uh, there are some guys that, that have performed quicker, you know, and uh, I think some people said that they thought that ETN might have been a bad choice, but then he played a little bit better since he's, you know, gotten a little older. I, I think that's what you got to count on with the guys that they brought in. Uh, it's amazing, to be honest with you, it's amazing what uh, Green Bay has done with their young receivers. I mean, those guys uh, have have be, performed way above what everybody expected them to. So there is something to that. I think another year will determine, next year will determine a lot about the coaching staff and uh, the administration. Quickly, Coach, 30 seconds. You mentioned Green Bay. They can't go into San Francisco and win like they did yesterday, right? I mean, are they really going to beat Dallas and San Fran back-to-back, or do you think the Niners have an easy time of it? Well, I don't think the Niners will have an easy time of it because I think they've got a pretty good ball club up there. But at the same time, they're not going to catch the 49ers by surprise. You know, they went into Dallas uh, with an with a attitude that was a little different than Dallas's. I think uh, the San Francisco 49ers have taken note of that, and they've had their uh, situation where they didn't show up. So I think they will show up. I expect them to win the football game. But listen, you never know. You remember Seattle back in the day, Russell Wilson's rookie year. He came in and and uh, surprised everybody and then went all the way. So that's the way this league is. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the ball game. I think it'll be a good football game. It's the best weekend of the year. The divisional round next Monday. We will know the AFC championship game and the NFC championship game, and we'll talk about it then. Head coach Dave Campo, Monday night, coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark. Coach, thank you, buddy. We'll talk soon. I appreciate it. Have a good one, and I'll talk to you next week. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Four minutes to go, second quarter. Winner of this game goes to Detroit next week. Tampa Bay, 16-3 over Philadelphia. Boy, you could argue back in week 12, first weekend in November, even middle of November, quite frankly, Philadelphia, Miami, Jacksonville. Three of the top five, top six teams in all the power rankings. Well, Jacksonville didn't even make the postseason. Miami was one and done, and Philadelphia trails Tampa now. 16 to 3. Oh, but there you go. It can change quick. Jalen Hurts to Devonta Smith, about a 50 yard play there. They're set up inside the Tampa five yard line. And they're looking to eat into this Buccaneer lead. Again, Tampa Bay 16 to 3, but Philadelphia now has it inside the Tampa five. Three and a half minutes to go in the second quarter. A lot of NFL tonight. The NFL talk will continue all week. Coming up next. Into the world of college football. What about the Mike Norvell contract extension in Tallahassee? Who would have ever seen that a year and a half ago? What about Nick Saban's retirement? Kalen DeBoer, the brand new head coach at Alabama. There's been a ton going on. With that, let's talk to my buddy Mike Huguenin. He is a college football encyclopedia. 
He is one of my favorite guys to talk college football with, and he is next. Florida State, Florida, Alabama, and more. Monday night, Hacker After Dark. Glad you're with us here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Boy, the college football offseason is only a week old, but amazing what has transpired in the world of college football over the last seven days, from Nick Saban's retirement to a gigantic contract extension for Mike Norvell in Tallahassee. Let's talk about all of it with my buddy Mike Huguenin. He is a college football encyclopedia. He's covered the game for years, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, how you doing? Doing uh, doing quite well, and, and you're right. I mean, this was a sort of a history-making season, and to sort of put the nail in, Nick Saban resigns, retires, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's mind-blowing. The old era of college football, I think, ended in 2023, and Nick Saban chose to go out in a way with the old era. But, yeah, you know, I think he did a phenomenal coaching job this year. That was a team that had flaws, and those flaws showed up in the college football um, I thought he was – I thought he had mellowed over the last couple years. You know, like, the, for instance, remember the USF game? Mullen, they won. Um, if that had happened 10 years ago, I, I think Saban's head literally would have exploded after the game. This year he seemed relatively calm. And, you know, he's not going out at the, at the tip top, but he is going out um, on his own terms. And with a program that's in phenomenal shape. I feel bad for Kalen DeBoer. I think he is an extremely high-level coach. But I, I truly think he's in a no-win situation. Um, you lose a game. Well, Nick wouldn't have lost that. You know, you beat LSU by three. Nick would have won by 14. Um, a, a kid from Alabama goes goes to Georgia. But Nick would have signed him. It's, it's you know, you don't want to – you know, you've always hear you don't want to be the man that follows the man, and Nick Saban in college football is the man. And I know there's a lot of money uh, that Kalen DeBoer is going to be putting in his uh, bank account, but uh, to me, in a, in a way, he's, he's like a human sacrifice um, because nothing he does is going to be good enough for the Alabama fans. You know, in college basketball a few years back, Roy Williams, Jay Wright, Coach K. Jim Beheim, they all kind of got out roughly at the same time. And I wondered at that point, the NIL, the transfer portal, did the old guard, if you will, just say, you know what, this is not the sport I've coached forever. I'm going to get out now. And I wonder if there was any of that with Nick Saban, particularly when it came to NIL. What's your thought there? Yeah, he, he said, you know, he he didn't really say that was the reason, but I, I have to think that it at least partially – Responsible and think, you know, I can remember, he, you know, when he leaves the Dolphins to go to LSU, um, and, and that was what two, uh, twenty years ago. Um, at that time, unquestionably, being a pro coach was harder. I don't think there's any question, but that the pendulum has swung. It's exceedingly difficult to be a college football head coach now or a college basketball head coach right now. Um, and I think, you know, at the core, I think people forget that, you know, Nick Saban's 72 years old. So for the last 20 years, he's been walking into the houses of 17 and 18 year olds and basically begging them to come to his school. 
I think that's you, know, you talk to coaches and they you know, it's demeaning. Um, and I think a 72-year-old Nick Saban um, and, and a 58-year-old Jay Wright sort of looked at it the same way. I, I don't need to do this anymore. And especially now, you're not only recruiting high school kids, you're recruiting kids out of the portal, and you're recruiting your own roster to stay. So instead of begging one segment of 18- and 19-year-olds to come to your school, you're begging three separate groups. So uh, I think that that gets old. Um, he is going out on his own terms, which is always a great thing. Uh, he is going out near the top, but I, I, yeah, I think the I he has you know voiced his criticism of college football and college athletics in general over the last decade or so. I would love to have a unfiltered Nick Saban take on college sports right now. Um, I, I think it would be exceedingly interesting. Every coach is worried about themselves. I get that. I truly think, though, that Saban, like a lot of older coaches, do think about the sport as a whole, the general overall picture. And I got to think he'd have some fascinating things to say. Mike Huguenin's covered the world of college football for years. He truthfully is one of my favorite guys to talk college ball with. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. You mentioned Kalen DeBoer, and raise your hand if you had Kalen DeBoer in September being the new coach of Alabama in January. I'm willing to bet not a lot of hands are being raised. And, Mike, my question is, we saw this at Auburn a couple of years ago. You get a guy successful out west, Brian Harson. Now, maybe not as successful as DeBoer, but still a respected coach. Comes down to the SEC, very few ties, and it was a disaster at Auburn, an absolute disaster. I don't think DeBoer will be that level of a disaster, but is there concern from you about Kalen DeBoer not having a lot of familiarity with this part of the country, and now he's the head coach at Alabama? I mean, that doesn't add up to me. No, it's it, 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 you know I think there's a the, the fit aspect is, is is legit. Now I think DeBoer, you know he, he won three NAIA national titles at, at Sioux Falls, and yes, NAIA is not comparable to NCAA Power Five football, but it's it, it's also sort of it's all relative. And NAIA when he was at Sioux Falls, he was playing teams you know that are were hit as good as he is. So he'll be doing the same thing. He did the same thing in Washington, and now he'll be doing the same thing in Alabama. The expectation level, uh, the attention placed on you, I truly think that DeBoer is in for an eye-opening experience. It's one thing to be extremely successful in a short time at Washington, and he did a phenom- unbelievably phenomenal job at Washington. At the same time, um, I still think Kalen DeBoer could walk down the street in Seattle, and if Pete Carroll had been on the other side of the street, everyone would have flocked to Pete Carroll. Um, that ain't going to be the case in Tuscaloosa. In, in, in Seattle, UW football is number two at best. In some seasons, it's three or four. Um, in t- the entire state of Alabama, Alabama football is number one. So the, the, the attention that's going to be placed upon him is going to be vastly different than anything he's ever seen. I think from an X's and O's standpoint, he's a heck of a lot better than Harson, and he's really good offensively, and he brings Ryan Grubb with him. The irony there, obviously, Saban tried to hire Ryan Grubb as his offensive coordinator last year. Well, here Ryan Grubb is at Alabama just with Kalen DeBoer. But I think the fit aspect 
is something that is going to play out. I think we're going to see in the, in the first year, you know, from from today till next year on this exact same date. I think if you would ask Kalen DeBoer now what he expects is going to happen in terms of attention, and next year after he's lived 365 days of it, um, he's going to have a markedly different take because I don't think he has any idea what he's in for. Was Kalen DeBoer the first choice? I guess we don't know that. The thought is Mike Norvell was certainly in play with Alabama. Florida State steps up to the plate, gives him a brand-new eight-year deal that will pay him in excess of $10 million a year. And then the thing I said last week, Mike, when that news broke, imagine a world in August of 2022 where you tell Florida State fans just 17 months ago that in January of 24 you're going to sign Norvell to an eight-year, $80 million-plus deal. They would have laughed directly in your face. I mean, yes. the turnaround in 17 short months is nothing short of remarkable for Norvell in Tallahassee. No question, and I think the Saban, throughout his tenure at Alabama, got coaches paid, uh, head coaches and assistant coaches. Um, LSU's defensive coordinator, Blake Baker, was making $2.5 million um, for a defensive coordinator. Position coaches making more than a million. So a lot of coaches uh, at a lot of levels uh, owed Nick Saban a hearty, hearty thanks uh, and so did their bank accounts, and frankly, so did their grandchildren. Grandchildren and having been born are going to owe Nick Saban uh, a, a, a gratitude of thanks. Uh, yeah, nor was was DeBoer the number one um, candidate? I'm not sure. You talk to different people. Lanning got a bump. Norvell got a bump. Um, both those guys, just like Kalen DeBoer, are and just like Saban, represented by Jimmy Sexton. Uh, Sexton was in Tuscaloosa last week, um, and I think that yeah, I don't think we're ever going to know who was the first choice. But I'll be honest, I think Kalen DeBoer is a better hire than Norvell, and I think Kalen DeBoer is a better hire than Lanning in terms of X's and O's. The fit is the, is the question, so uh, that's going to be interesting to see. But Nor- Nor- you're right, Norvell making 80 million bucks. Um, if you had told, like you said, if you had told FSU fans after the season in which FSU lost to Jacksonville State, oh, Norvell would be making ten million bucks two years from now. They would, yeah, they right, they would have, they would have laughed and walked away from you. And they did not want him there. Believe me, it was all about Deion Sanders and this, that, and the other. And it's a good thing they stuck it out quickly with Norvell, Mike. So I want to get into some Florida issues in a moment to wrap up. Uh, the transfer portal again, he's going nuts. He just got Roydell Williams from Alabama, the running back. We know about DJU to come in and play quarterback. But you look at what Florida State is losing, right? They're losing a ton off of last year's team. Is there any chance this is a rebuild year, if you will? Any, you know, verbiage no, along those a, lines? I think it's more of a reload. They're still going to be vastly more talented than the vast majority of teams in the ACC. I think um, Clemson has a talented team with the returning starter quarterback. That's a positive. Miami picking up Cam Ward's big. Um, I, I am not a DJ Uyunglele fan. I think he's very robotic, and I think it takes him a while to process stuff. He's got a nice arm. He does some good things. I think that's a step down from Jordan Travis. A distinct Jordan, if, you know, if you if you got a, a 40, 40 uh, floor skyscraper, Jordan Travis would have been the thirty fifth or thirty sixth floor. I think Uyunglele is more like twenty eighth or twenty ninth. 
Um, the Roydell Williams is a solid running back, nothing great, but he is a productive dude. You wonder about the receiving core, uh, and you wonder a little bit about the defensive line. Um, but I, I think this is more of a reload season. I, no, I don't think FSU is going unbeaten in the regular season. I think they could lose two or three, but I, I still think a nine-win floor, considering what they lost, as you pointed out, that's, that's a legitimate goal, and that would be a pretty good season. Uh, and then maybe the ACC is going to be even worse than I thought. You know, I'm a huge Cam Ward fan, but you're playing at Miami, and I, you know, Cristobal had Justin Herbert at Oregon, um, and uh, I don't know. There's a lot of questions about Cristobal and his and his offensive, the offense that he prefers. Let's see if Cam Ward truly is allowed to do all the things Cam Ward can do. He is an upgrade over Van Dyke, but I think there were better fits for him with other offenses, but I think the NIL at Miami is going to be good for him. Um, and, you know, he, he started at FCS program, Incarnate Word, put up two good years at Washington State. Now he's got to do it again at Miami. Um, but the ACC race uh, is going to be a heck of a lot more interesting this this coming up fall than it was last fall because I think everybody going into the season knew uh, FSU's the best team and there's nobody close. And that turned out to be the case, basically. Final moments with Mike Hugan in here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, that gets us to Florida. I mentioned earlier, 17 months ago, you tell Florida State fans Norvell is going to get an eight-year extension. They would have laughed at you. If I tell Florida fans 17 months from now that Billy Napier gets an eight-year extension, they would laugh at me currently. Is that plausible? I mean, I mean, obviously a very tough schedule, but the Norvell blueprint with Billy Napier – do you see any similarities there, or am I grasping at straws for Florida? I think the fact that the first two years for Norrell at FSU were a struggle is the same for Napier. I, you know, but then in the third year, uh, Norvell won ten. I don't think Florida's won ten. Now the schedule is difficult, but there's also a schedule filled with teams breaking in new quarterbacks. Uh, and Florida does have Mertz coming back, who's I think was better than folks expected. He's at least a solid starter, um, and I think Lagway's potential obviously is is through the roof. Defensively, they have to get better. You know, Florida offensively committed 12 turnovers last year, which is a, frankly that was a top 15 number nationally for fewest turnovers. Yet they still had a minus five turnover margin because they only forced. Seven turnovers. So defensive growth is a must. And I know a lot of Florida players transferred, and I think most of the fan base was who cares. But the depth aspect of Florida defensively is going to be lacking. Um, they need health. They need some of these young defensive linemen to come through. But, yeah, that, basically a long-winded way of me saying, and I, I, no, I cannot foresee a – $80 million extension for Billy Napier two years from now. Um, I think 2024 is going to be a, a tough sledding. You know, maybe they win seven, uh, and then maybe he gets another year, and maybe they do win nine or ten in 2025, and then he would get an extension. But um, it, it's going to be tough, I think, for the roster as it's currently made up to be a SEC East contender next year. And I don't mean contending to win the division. Uh, I'm not even sure they can finish second. And you take away Georgia, and the rest of that division has got a ton of questions. 
Florida has as many questions as anybody else in the division, if not more. And, Mike, final question. I mean, it's wild where we are in college football with the transfer portal. You got guys like Princely Umanmi Ellen to Ole Miss, Chris McClellan to Missouri, of course, Trevor Etienne to Georgia, and now Richie Leonard to Florida State. The guys that are leaving Florida are going to rivals that Florida now has to play against. I mean, it yeah. is wild what's going on in college football right now. Yeah, and I think I think they're going to miss you, man, me, Ellen, and I think they're going to miss Jaden Hill. Um, He's another one, Hill yeah, a and really right. solid slot corner last year. Um, Richie Leonard, uh, uh, I think he was a try-hard guy, didn't have the greatest physical attributes, but played hard. Uh, Chris McClellan, I think, has has a has a upside that Florida didn't totally tap into. Um, but you're right. It, it's if an ETN, we talked about this before. If you know, running backs to me in college football have become like running backs in the NFL. There were dudes playing in, in NFL playoff games that I'm like, wait, where did he go to school again? I can't remember. Um, and it's you can find guys who can run the ball as long as your offensive line is okay. But if you're a Gator fan, that's the concern. Will their offensive line be okay? Um, that's going to determine how well Florida is next year. And, again, the defense – has so much room for improvement. Um, they have to force more turnovers. They got to get more aggressive. And maybe with that extra added year under their belt, some of these dudes make make pretty big strides uh, in this, this fall for Florida. The man is an absolute college football encyclopedia. My buddy Mike Huguenin. Mike, appreciate the time. We'll do it again closer to spring ball, and we'll see where things stand in Gainesville, Tallahassee, and around the rest of the schools here in the southeastern part of the country. Appreciate you, my friend. Always enjoy it. Thanks, man. And thank you to my buddy Mike Huguenin. Again, love talking college football with Mike. I've had him on for years and certainly appreciate his time here this evening on Hacker After Dark. My big takeaway of the night, well, I go back to this past weekend and I see all the young players, wide receivers, tight ends, etc., making plays for the Green Bay Packers, right? Making plays for the Los Angeles Rams, making plays for the Houston Texans. And then I look at Jacksonville, and I go back draft after draft after draft, and if you go all the way back to the draft of 2015, that's a long time, guys. We're talking nine years now. The best wide receiver the Jaguars have drafted in nine years is DJ Chark. You go back to Trent Baalke's three drafts so far as Jaguar full-time general manager. He's taken two wide receivers, Parker Washington and Jalen Camp, and he's taken two tight ends, Brenton Strange and Luke Farrell. Look, it's one thing to hit on free agents, and Balky has done that. And give him credit for that with Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram and Zay Jones and making the Ridley trade. But it'd be nice to get some in-house guys. It'd be nice to draft some of your better players, particularly at the skill positions. And obviously at wide receiver and tight end, that has not happened here in a very, very long time and that is something that needs to get addressed now, this offseason. That has to change. That narrative has to be corrected. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very, very busy Monday night here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We got a ton of people to thank. And Mike Huguenin, he's our college football encyclopedia. We've had him on for years. Love talking college ball with Mike talking Nick Saban retirement.
the Mike Norvell contract extension, and more. Thank you to my buddy Dave Campo. It's always Monday night coaching with Campo here on Hacker After Dark, the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Boy, what an eight-day period he has had with the Jaguars' biggest collapse ever and his Dallas Cowboys just getting annihilated yesterday. We certainly appreciate Coach Campo for joining us tonight. And back in hour number one, my buddy Mike DiRocco, DRock, ESPN.com. Really appreciate talking with Mike DiRocco about what happened with the Jaguars, but more importantly, where we go from here. Josh Allen, Calvin Ridley, Trevor Lawrence. There is a lot to figure out as the offseason really begins to start here in Jacksonville now that we are over a week removed from the Jaguars being eliminated from the NFL postseason. We will be back tomorrow night on a Tuesday. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question. Where else would you rather be? Where on earth would you rather be from 10 o'clock to midnight on a Tuesday than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on our late night show on Hacker After Dark? And we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for hanging out with us here on a Monday evening on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Tuesday beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.